Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. For those of you that pick up, pick up on such things or know the church calendar, there's two things that dovetail in the church calendar that we use today. And the two things are Epiphany, which is a season, and the baptism of our Lord Jesus, which is the event. And they dovetail to point or paint a picture for us about Jesus and his ministry both from the Old Testament, what is promised about him, as well as what you see unfold in his life and ministry and death and resurrection. And they come together at this moment at the point of baptism because that's when he begins his public life, if you will. His coming out and revealing who he is, which is exactly what the word epiphany is about. Epiphany has to do with light. Epiphany has to do with revelation or revealing something. And in this case, something new. Something new about who God is, His nature, and what our life is meant to look like when we're given over to Him in faith. That's what the notion of epiphany is about. And baptism is a beginning, an inauguration, in many ways, of living the life of faith. And Jesus does so as He begins His public ministry, living this out. You know, think about the phrase, and some of you probably have heard it, and some of you have probably used it. That's revealing. Now think about it when someone's in a swimsuit. That's one way of using the term. Probably not always gratifying, but it is one way. But another way is when you get to know someone and then something deeper about them. And you think to yourself, That's revealing about something of their character or background or something that gives us a new picture of who this person is and what this person is like and why that person is like that. It's revealing. And that's what God is doing in Jesus Christ. He's revealing himself in a new and different way. The promise that we see in Isaiah 42. This is my servant. This is my beloved. This is the one on whom my spirit rests. This is a light to the nations. All of these different notions about God revealing himself in a different way, in a new way. And if you go back to the beginning, that is creation, that is Genesis 1. The first thing God creates is light. And then Jesus comes into the world and he is the light. The revealing. Because it takes light to reveal takes light to reflect. And that light is meant to shine on us, and we are meant to reflect the nature, the person of Jesus Christ. That God is constantly trying to reveal himself, who he is, what he's like, what his nature is, what that means for our lives. And that's why constantly in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see this notion about God revealing himself, his nature. And when you get to Romans chapter 1, 
It says that in creation, God is knowable by everyone. His nature, His purpose is revealed for us. So everyone is without excuse. And we see this in Romans chapter 1, when Paul is talking about everyone being created and what God's intention for us is and the fact that we've all sinned and fallen short. That's what happens as Romans unfolds. But let me read to you two other beginnings of letters besides Romans 1 and Genesis 1. Let me read to you from Hebrews 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he has also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, a more excellent than theirs. So you see this picture of Jesus coming. That a new thing is happening. He's revealing fully the nature of God in the flesh, in this person, Jesus Christ, to show us what it means to live this life of faith. And then to lay down his life to deal with the sin in ours so that we can experience the outpouring of the Spirit, and we can live that life too. That's God's design and desire. And there's a sense when you read the Old Testament of this discontinuity and continuity about the nature of God and His plan of salvation. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. The discontinuity comes with the dietary laws and the ritual laws having to do with the temple. The dietary laws is because this person, this Messiah, Jesus Christ, has now come into the world as a light to the nations. And when you reach out with the gospel to other nations, Israel is no longer distinct. Part of their distinction was the dietary laws. So when you get to Jesus and Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, you see this release from the dietary laws because in order to go out to the Gentiles, the nations, they needed to be released from that. And when Jesus died on the cross... And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus was the final sacrifice for sin. You no longer needed the high priest because Jesus took that role. The final sacrifice was done. And the Holy of Holies was accessible to all of us. So the ritual laws were passed. Fulfilled. The moral law is still intact. And all of us fall short. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we needed the sacrifice of Jesus. The continuity is God's love for us. The fact that He sent His Son, the fact that He's trying to reach us, the fact that He desires for us to reflect His nature and to be transformed, to be His people, to be the Beloved. That's His goal for us. That's what we see unfolding as we approach the final verse of the section of Scripture we have from the Gospel. But what happens in between are three different snapshots or pictures or ideas of what baptism is really all about and what baptism is meant to mean for us. Let me tell you what I mean by that. First of all, baptism by water. The baptism of repentance. Secondly, baptism that is immersion. 
that Jesus came up out of the water. And the third is baptism that consumes us. The baptism by fire that John the Baptist points to when he says, I baptize with water, but one will come after me who will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And those three pictures, those three snapshots give us an idea of what our, our baptism is meant to be about us and for us. First of all, baptism by water. John the Baptist introduced this idea at the River Jordan to the people. This baptism that washes and cleanses. The baptism that points to we need to be washed. We need to be, need to be cleansed. We need to be transformed. And so many people think that baptism gives you an automatic pass into heaven. You know, once you have the water, you're good to go. doesn't matter what you do the rest of your life. Right? And that's not correct if you see Scripture. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. That's why we call it a sacrament, an outward sign of an inward reality. Nathan was telling our staff on Monday about a conversation he heard with our bishop, Mark Lawrence, and a seminary student about baptismal regeneration. Now, most of you have no idea what that means, and you probably won't care even after this sermon. But we learned in seminary, and baptismal regeneration really means that once you have baptism, and that happens to you, you are regenerate. That is to say, you're converted, you're transformed, you're good for the rest of your life, and on into eternity. And Scripture never talks about that. Never. And I tell my new members class, and some of you are going to remember this when I say it, if baptismal regeneration was the way people are led to salvation, that's all it takes, then people in this congregation and beyond would be better served if I stood on the corner of Pope and Cordillo with a hose and sprayed people as they went by. I mean, think about it. If that's all it takes, let's go for it. Let's all stand out there with hoses. Spray your neighbors. You know that's not reality. I mean, when I say it like that, it dawns on you. Why is it we think that because people are baptized, they're good to go? As if there's no transformation that's supposed to take place, an inward reality of faith. It's meant to change our lives. See, that's really what we're meant to be about. This repentance, this washing, this cleansing so that we can be transformed, so that our lives can change, so that we can live for Him in all things. That's the life of faith. That's what His goal is for our lives. And the, one of the best places that you see this is in the Old Testament as well. Psalm 51 that many of you are familiar with. Psalm 51, let me read to you the first part. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. There's that idea of belovedness. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you are justified in your sentence. And that's the understanding that we need this washing and we need to be transformed. You desire truth in my inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There's that notion of baptism. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. There it is. It's the inward reality. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If, if, If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And that's what Jesus modeled too when he humbled himself to be baptized by John the Baptist. For us to understand the nature of baptism. Secondly, it's baptism by immersion. That we are meant to be immersed in this faith that we're talking about. This life that we're talking about. You know, we talk about in our denomination that we sprinkle people with water. You know, because we pour it over the top of the heads, right? We sprinkle people. And so people sometimes get the impression that means that, you know, our faith is just meant to be a sprinkling. Not too much. Right? You don't want to be too religious. I mean, my goodness. Think about that in light of Jesus. Was he too religious? And we're called to be Christ-like? There's no such thing. That we're meant to be immersed, covered, Covered by Christ with his blood. Covered by his righteousness. Covered by his holiness. Covered by the Holy Spirit. So that we live his life. That is what we're meant to be about. We are meant to be Christ-like. The notion and idea of sprinkling is that we cover the head with water because it signifies being completely immersed in water. That's why we cover the head with water. That's why we do what we do. Don't misunderstand. You know, you want to know what immersion is like? I'll give you an example. Both of my sons have been skydiving. Daniel went to jump school. Aaron thought it was so cool, he just decided he was going to do it sometime. So he did. He paid for a lesson and paid for the jump. When I was in college, I always read in our pit newspaper, you could go to Ohio and jump for $99. And I could never justify the price. And now I'm too old and I know better. (laughs) But you realize when you jump off the ledge of that plane, you're not turning back. That's being immersed. You're in it. You're all in. Or in some ways, all out. You're going all out for your faith. That's being immersed. That's what God's design and desire is for our lives. And let's take it a step further. He wants you to be consumed. Fire is a consuming thing. The zeal of the Lord is upon him. Upon Jesus. That's why we're meant to have this zeal for our lives. It's more than a taste. It's a consumption. That we're filled with passion. We're filled with fire. 
A fire that consumes. We're not apathetic. This faith is not meant to be mundane. If you really understand what Jesus modeled by his life. You look at the passion. You look at the fire. The fact that he went into the temple and cleared the temple. The fact that he said that the the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, Woe to you, you brood of vipers. Jesus was fiery. Jesus was consumed, which is why he was willing to lay down his life. To serve. To sacrifice. To give. I mean, do you understand this is the life we're meant to live? A life that has passion, that's fiery. There's a zeal to us in our faith. Not obnoxious. Not judgmental but filled with fire that we have His joy and His love and His peace. That's what the life is meant to be. And the holiness comes as we become Christ-like, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as we're transformed. You know, and this is not just a symbolism of baptism, by the way. When we receive communion on Sundays, realize that we are consuming Christ. And then we're to be consumed. That is to say that the elements of the bread and the wine fill us. They go throughout our bodies, throughout our system. That's the symbolism of a life of faith. That we consume the grace. And we're consumed by the Holy Spirit. And we become fiery, passionate. That's the life. See what happens when you really live this way? You understand more and more what Jesus heard from the Father. This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. I love that verse. If you look in the Old Testament, Israel was the child. They were the beloved. And Jesus as the Messiah fulfills that role. Takes it upon himself. Lives that life. Consumed by the Father's love and living for him Totally. Let me tell you an example that I experienced recently. And by doing this, I don't have to tell all of you individually what happened to me a week and a half ago. For those of you that don't know, I was in the hospital for three and a half days. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, the day after, and I went home about midday on Friday. I woke up Tuesday morning, New Year's Eve morning, about 6 o'clock in the morning, felt great. Went out, got the paper, turned the coffee on, waiting for the coffee to brew so I could have my quiet time because I need coffee to focus. I was just looking at the paper, and all of a sudden I didn't feel quite right. So I had a glass of ice water. It really didn't help. So in about 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, I went in to get Meredith, and I said, I need you. I didn't want to pour everything out while she was still waking up. But I said, as soon as you can get up, I need you to come out. And she responded pretty quickly. Because she has never heard me say those words quite in that way. And she came out and she said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know, but I've got a lot of pain. And she said, you want to go to the emergency room? Typical guy. No, I don't need that. I said, just get me a Pepto-Bismol. I'll be fine. So she went and she got a Pepto-Bismol and I drank a little more ice water. By then, 
I was starting to sweat, and I was in more pain. And I said, we need to go to the emergency room. I think that shocked her. When she got out of her shock, she said, well, I've got to get changed. Typical woman. <laughs> so we got your typical man, and we got your typical woman. So I said, I'm going to go down to the garage because I need the cool air. And I immediately threw up the water and the Pepto-Bismol. And I was sitting on the floor. And Meredith came down. She said, where are you? I said, I'm ready to go when you are. So she jumped in the car, drove me up the island. I don't think Meredith's ever driven up the island that fast. Kind of reflected my nature. So that's what we share in common. Anyway, I get to the hospital. She drops me off at the emergency room door. And I got down on all fours, and I couldn't move. And uh, Lori Haven, who's the, who's the nurse there, sees Meredith and says, Hi, Meredith. Craig? And she immediately got everybody going real fast. Um, and I was in, but they didn't treat me right away. They took me down for a CAT scan. I think they thought I might have had an aortic aneurysm or a kidney stone or something like that. And... Um, and so after that, it took them about three or four hours to get on top of my pain. I, was, I understand the term writhing in pain. The only thing I could think of at that point was I just wanted out of pain. And I want Meredith to be out of pain because she was standing by feeling helpless and crying. And if you've ever been a parent when your child's been injured or sick, you understand. And she never see, has seen me like that. She said that herself. She said, usually you can deal with things. I've had broken bones, stitches. I can deal with pain. I've never had anything like that. They couldn't get a temperature. When they did, about six or eight hours later, it was 94. So this was not your normal food poisoning. Some bacteria or, or a virus got into my small intestine. It was inflamed and infected. And as soon as they got me to a room about 11, something like that, they just started pumping me with pain medication and antibiotics, and that's what I experienced for two, two and a half days. I never did get a temperature. Slowly my temperature got up to 98, took all day. My pain, I've never experienced pain like that before in my life. It's called enteritis. I never even heard of it. They weren't sure what they were dealing with because it wasn't reacting like normal stuff. Imagine that, me not being normal. And I finally got out in a total of three and a half days later. Three and a half days in PCU. I was immersed in pain like I've never experienced in my life. And what's fascinating is that the only thing I could think of was, I want out of this pain. I need to get out of this pain. I want Meredith to be released from her pain. Meredith said that I was profusely sweating. My skin was like ice. I wasn't conscious of that. I wasn't conscious of anything except getting out of pain. For four hours, five hours. Do you realize that sin is about pain. Because sin causes pain to our lives. What's even worse is when you have a silent killer. That you have some kind of infection or sickness and you're not even aware of it. Which is where much of the world is. 
God sent his son to bring us healing. By his stripes we are healed. Is what it says in Isaiah 53. By his stripes we are healed. That's why he died on a cross for us. So that we would know that healing. I went from being consumed by pain to being relieved. But you know what? If they had only dealt with the pain, I was still in trouble. I needed the antibiotic. See, we all want the pain released. We all want the painkiller. We all want the Savior when it's convenient. Many people in churches, if not in our country, want a therapeutic deity. That is a God who just brings us healing and makes us happy instead of a God who transforms our state to a state of health. That he brings the antibiotic. That's why he died on a cross. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we are no longer consumed by the sickness which is death, which is sin. And he wants to bring us life and health. To be consumed by the Holy Spirit. To live the life of faith. So that we more and more understand, rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. So that we more and more understand that we are a new creation, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. That our lives are transformed. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to experience this health, this life. To know that we are the beloved. See, when we understand that's our state before Christ, we realize we're no longer consumed by sin. And we no longer have to be. Do you want health? Not just release from pain, but health. Are you experiencing the silent killer? That there's sin in your life and you've never really addressed it. You've never dealt with it. And it will consume you and destroy your relationships. Because he wants you to experience health and life and transformation. And at the bottom line, this is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. That's why he washes you for repentance. That's why he desires that you be immersed and consumed by his fire, filled with his Holy Spirit. That's the life. That's what he offers. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, I thank you that you are one who releases pain. As I experience like I've never experienced before. It has brought to me a new reality of the depth and the pain that sin causes. 
and how you desire to release us from that sin, that self-centeredness, that desire to be healed but not transformed. Lord, I pray this day that each person here would understand the depth of your offer, the depth of your love, the depth of your sacrifice in Jesus Christ that would transform us, that we would be truly people who are immersed in your life, consumed by your Spirit, and live a life that reflects your Son, Jesus, that we are filled with fire, that we serve, that we sacrifice, that we give, that we live for him because he lived and died for us so that we might be healed, whole, and know eternal life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.